This is when the church is at her best. And we will be by the grace of God. Well, I said that this was a time to lament. I don't think it's a time to be mad. I think it's a time to be sad. And that's why I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to actually enter into a psalm of lament today and understand God's view of sorrow. Uh, Lament literally means this. We've got a slide for you. Lament means to express sorrow. Lamenting is when you're expressing sorrow. It is the blues, if you will. Uh, Marie and I were in Cleveland last week for a day of vacation, and uh, you can't imagine what we wanted to do when we went to Cleveland. Yep, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum. Yeah, that's where we went and uh, had a great time. And there's this one section where they start talking about the blues, and they say uh, the blues and the you know, pictures of B.B. King and, you know, the great, great people. And then it says, the blues began in Chicago. And while I would love for us to be able to take, uh, uh, you know, authority for that, it's wrong. The blues began in ancient Israel. And so as we get ready to study the blues this morning, understand that this has always been a part of the God experience. Uh, In the scriptures, there's a time where Job says, God, just take my life. There's a time when Moses says, God, take my life. There's a time where Elijah says, God, take my life. There's a time when Jonah says, clean me up, then take my life. There's extreme sadness that is going on. The apostle Paul once writes autobiographically in 2 Corinthians, he says, There was a time when I despaired even of staying alive. And most importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ, while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, says these words, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. So sadness has been a part of the life of all those we emanate and even the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not alone if you struggle with sadness and sorrows. We all have it. Now, I think that poetry and song is the best way to teach sorrow because psalms are the ideal form of literature to express sorrow. Why? Because music Poetry, and that's what these, the Psalms are, is, is they are written to bring in all of the faculties, to bring in your sense of reason, yes, but beyond that, they, they have the capacity to bring in your emotions, your imagination, your memories, all of the faculties of the human mind come to play. And that's part of the reason we're taking the summers to open up the Psalms, that we might not only understand them, but that we might experience them. So the psalm today is Psalm 42. As I asked you, open your Bibles there if you've not done so. And I want to do a reading of it. And we're going to put some music underneath it. This is the music that that Brian has written for Psalm 42. And after the message, he'll actually be performing the song with the lyric. But what we thought we'd like to do is take the melodic line and place it underneath a reading of the psalm, which I'm going to seek to do a bit more dramatically, not for the element of teaching, 
but so that we might only, not only think it, but feel it. So Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food, day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise amongst the festive throng. So why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God. But my soul, it's downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And yet deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and your breakers, they've swept over me. By day, the Lord will direct his love. By night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. And they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why? so disturbed within me. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God. Psalm 42. So, sadness is a part of life. The great saints were probably sad more than they were glad because that's the nature of human existence. If you've got the psalm open with me now, 
Let's see how the writer approaches it. He starts exactly where he should. Listen, everybody, if we could, in the depths of our sadness, when we're really down in our sorrows, if we could start the way the psalmist does in verses one and two, we'd be on the way to hope. Because you see, what happens is lament and hope live together. So look where he starts. As the deer pants for the water brooks, evidently he's in the wilderness or he's remembering and he sees a deer that has been running that is out of breath, that is so thirsty and the deer is panting and he goes, that's my life. I am panting for God. I am thirsting for God. When can I go and meet God? And not just God in the abstract, the living God. One of the things we believe is that when you come to know Jesus Christ, you start to experience living in the presence of God. And there is nothing that satisfies in life like that. He knows that. Now you say, well, what's going on in his life? We're not sure. We're not sure when this was written. We know it was written by one of the great musicians and, and probably writers, sons of Korah. We think it's probably during the period of exile, which means somewhere in the vicinity of 500 to 600 BC, when the intelligentsia, the leaders of the Jewish society have been transported to Babylon, and then after Babylon they get transported to Persia and they live in a foreign land. Why? Why do we think that? Because he keeps talking about enemies taunting him all the time. And, and, he, and he writes as if he's in isolation, like he's kind of alone, like no one else believes the way that he does. And he's probably socially an outcast. He's probably politically an outcast. Okay, He's somewhere where he deeply misses having been with God. And he realizes right away, <laughs> a great job, a great wife, fine. None of that will really do. It's got to be God. I've got to have God. Are you there in your life yet? Are you at the point where you really realize that nothing but God will fully satisfy? That's one of God's purposes for allowing sorrows in our lives. He pants, he thirsts, he longs. Uh, uh, Oswald Chamber talks about being in the fires of sorrows. Because the fires of sorrows not only purify our lives, they do that, but the fires of sorrows point us to the ultimate reality of only God can satisfy. Sorrows do that. Incidentally, even our successes do that. Have you ever thought about that? Even our successes uh, will lead, watch me now, our successes, our goods, will lead us towards sadness. Why? Because even they don't fully satisfy. I was reading C.S. Lewis this week and helped on this by Tim Keller actually but listen to what he says about how even the best things in life start to leave you with a sadness. Listen to this. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and what they want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. 
There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent and the job may be very interesting, but still, something evades us. What is it? We were made for God, and only God will fully satisfy. That's why Lewis says, we're always after the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard. Sorrows, sorrows, from the bad and even the good in life lead us to sorrows. The human soul was made for God in the same way that the human body was made for water. Nothing else will satisfy. He knows that. He started at the right place. Now, move with me as we see his sadness here, because this is really something now he moves toward the blues. He moves toward deep lamenting. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. There's a lot there. My tears have been my food. He's not eating. Day and night, he's not sleeping. We know from the study of depression and sadness that oftentimes one at one's appetite is taken away. We know that it causes sleeplessness. I think it's so interesting that the Bible in this passage written at the earliest, 500 BC, was already helping see that sadness, sorrows, lamenting has physicality implications in us. And that's why sometimes when somebody comes to us in deep sadness, we'll say, have you had a physical yet? Because the body's involved. But he goes further. Look where he goes from there. Look with me at verse uh, 5. He says, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That's verse 5. Verse 6, he uses the word downcast again. My soul is downcast within me. Verse 11, he uses it again. My soul, why are you downcast? I learned that that word in the, in the Hebrew language, this is the only place in the Old Testament it's used. It's an extremely graphic word. It means to be crumbling. It, it, it literally means to be collapsing. And so he's saying who he is as a human being is literally crumbling and collapsing right in front of him. Downcast. Then the term disturbed, right under it in verse 5, that term means to be swirling 
Uh, when you hear Brian sing the song he's written about it, he'll use the word tempest. That my soul is like a tempest swirling inside me. So try to put those two together. And then tell me you haven't gone through this or aren't going through it now in your life. Of literally collapsing in your soul. Swirling, confused, unable to sleep, unable to eat. It's a deep, deep sorrow. So it's physical. It's psychological. My soul's collapsing. And it's spiritual. If you look at the psalm, the first time you see this word is in verse 5. But you'll see it six times total. Look what he says. What is it? Why? 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 Why is my life like this? Why is God allowing this to happen? That's the stuff of sorrows, isn't it? The other word that's used twice is where. Where is God? They're taunting him. They're saying, hey, if your God is so great, why are you here? Where is your God? Where is your God? We not only hear it from others, we hear it within ourselves. Where is God? Why and where may be the two great words of despair. The psalmist is going through all of them. Now again, just a quick reminder. Thanks be to God that the Bible, written before the science of psychology was developed, the Bible, written before we had much knowledge of physical science, our bodies, was already addressing those realities when it comes to feeling sad. Gives me more confidence in the word of God. Well, what does he do about it? And I'm going to give you like four things to do about it when you're lamenting in your life. And the first one, pray. I know that when I first realized that, I go, oh, yeah, I knew that. But I don't do it. Have you ever found that when you're the saddest, it's the hardest to pray? But throughout this whole psalm, as, as he is lamenting, as he's being honest about his feelings, as he's talking to his own soul, he's talking to his soul and he's talking to God, he's trying to make sense of all the disorder that's going on, yet he will just pray, he says, I long for you, my God. Where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? He's praying. Point number one, what to do? Lament through prayer. Lament through prayer. Go to God honestly about your feelings. And incidentally, when you don't want to pray is when you need to pray the most. And then, friends, sometimes your despair is so bad you can't pray, that's when you call out to others to pray. To tell you the truth, honestly, yesterday morning when um, Rob, who's, who's in Colorado, was working on this whole thing of, you know, the Friday thing with the Supreme Court. I was working on it from Chicago. Our elders were working on it by phone. Nancy Grubin was working on it. We're all, we're all lamenting at the same time. We're trying to decide what do we say to you on this day. And it was driving me nuts. 
And so I real quickly sent out a text to one of my buddies who is another pastor. I said, Jim, would you really pray for us? Uh, I'm feeling really sad. Rob's feeling really sad. And we're supposed to lead our congregation tomorrow. And he's the one that wrote back to me. And he said, Lon, I'm trying to learn to pray into my sorrows. I go, aha, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's praying into his sorrows. Number one, pray, 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 and then get other people to pray, 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 pray. That's what he did. What else do you do? Okay, now watch this. This is a nice turn that happens here. You start to hope. Huh? How does despair, how do despair and hope work together? How do doubt and faith work together? Aren't they diametric opposites? No, they are not. He starts talking to his soul and infusing hope. He's being honest with his soul about his feelings. He's also being honest with his soul about hope, holding on to hope. Look at, look at verse 5 again. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are so disturbed within me? Then he turns it and he goes, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. If you noticed in my reading of the psalm, I was trying to show that this psalm moves from sadness to hope, back to sadness, then to hope, back to sadness, then to hope, back to sadness, then to hope. It's kind of like a, right, a fighter with a left cross and an uppercut. Hoo, 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 hoo. That's also in P90X. <laughs> and I just kind of think that's life, isn't it? Both are who we are. But here's the promise. Hope will win over despair. That's God's promise. And you say, okay, so how does he hope? He hopes by, watch this now, remembering. He hopes in God by remembering. Look what he does in, in verse number four. It's right after he says he's not sleeping, he's not eating, and people are saying, where's God? Look what he says, verse four. He says, this I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember I used to go to the house of God. I remember when I sensed God was with me. I remember shouting joys and praises together with all of God's people. I remember, I remember, I remember. There must be a God. Because I remember being swept up, not by the waves of sorrow, I remember being swept up in the praises of God. Do you have memories of that? High moments of being with God's people? Maybe it's just five of you sitting around a campfire singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. You know, and you're eating some s'mores. Or maybe it's coming to church. I love to come to church. I need to come to church. I need to come because I need you. I need you to greet me in the lobby like you need me to greet you. I need to shake hands. I need to hear your voices swell in song when my voice isn't swelling. 
We need each other. That's what he goes back to. He's in some distant land. He's somewhat isolated, but he's remembering being with God's people and worshiping. Remember by worship and song. Remember by worship and song. That's first. What does he do next? Look down with me at verse number six. Once again, he starts with a lament. My soul is downcast within me. Then here comes the hope. He says, therefore, I'm going to remember you, God. How's he going to remember God? He's going to remember him. It says, from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Mount Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Having just been there, I know that the Jordan is where the most beautiful land in all Israel is. The great date palms rise up outside the river. It flows through the valley. Everything is green. Everything grows. At the the, uh, beginning of the river, up in uh, the Sea of Galilee, you can see this majestic snow-capped mountain called Mount Hermon. Mount Miser is probably the hills that lead up to it. So what's he doing? He is remembering the beauty of God's creation. I still remember the first time I stood on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. How many of you have stood on the south rim of the Grand Canyon? Did you doubt God existed after that? No. Once once I got to combine them both. I got to corporate worship in the mountains. It was years and years ago. I was a youth pastor. We were in Mount Zion National (laughs) Park. And I'm saying years ago. It's 40 years ago. You know what I realized? I don't have to go to archives anymore. I am one. Okay? <laughs> and they're dusty, you know. I, but I can pull stuff out and go, oh, yeah, that happens, you know. Okay, so we, we got a ton of kids there, high school kids. It's evening, the sun's just going down, and there's just these majestic peaks there in the campgrounds in Mount Zion. And we've got this bonfire going, and all of us, we've got guitars. There's 40 or 50 of us standing around, and we're singing glory to God at the top of our lungs. It's almost like the mountains were part of the choir. And so, our writer, who is so terribly sad, who is lamenting, moves from lament to hope by remembering worship, by remembering creation and it gives him hope there's one other thing that he does and it's my favorite verse in the whole psalm it's verse 8 and it says there by day the Lord directs his love at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life When Brian and I first started working on this psalm, me to preach it and him to write music about it, I kept taking him back to the the eighth verse. I said, Brian, there's just something melodic there. It's, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's a promise. It's a promise. And the next way you move from lament to hope is you hope in God by promise holding (laughs) not promise keeping you got to do that too but promise holding we hold on 
to God's promises. So when I woke up last night at 3.30, okay, and I couldn't go back to sleep because so much is moving through my head because of today, and I just lay in there and I can't sleep, warm milk didn't help. Even going downstairs for ESPN didn't help. Usually does. I just went back in bed and I remembered verse 8 and I just kept claiming it over and over and over. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And I just kept repeating it and repeating it. Then I went from there and I went to surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then I went to the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Then I went to Jesus saying, I will be with you always. I was claiming the promises of God. And that's probably the best way I know to start to slip out of despair into hope. St. Paul has a wonderful verse on the promises of God. It comes from 2 Corinthians. We've got it here for you now. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? All the promises are yes in Jesus Christ. Which takes me to my final point, and that is this. We have an advantage over this psalmist. He wrote this around 500 BC. He was hoping against hope. We now receive it on the other side of the great cataclysmic event of all existence the life, death, and resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. You see me start to smile? I just got chills on the right side of my body. Because sometimes I forget about Jesus, you know? I go, oh, life's really sad. I better read the Psalms. Then I realize Jesus is the answer to it all. Remember how the psalmist starts out and he says, I thirst? What did our Lord say from the cross? I thirst. And it wasn't just for water. His soul was crying out to be reunited with God, the Father Almighty himself. And it was coming. And when the psalmist cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Our Lord Jesus from the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you pulled away? In Jesus, we have a companion for our laments. But even more, we have a hero for our hope. Because Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forgotten. You will never be forgotten by God. You are loved by God. With all the brokenness you possess in you, you are loved. He will never forsake you. He forsake his own life, but we won't be. And he rises from the dead. And he said, I will be with you. I close with this story. It comes from Elie Weissel, the philosopher who was in Auschwitz 
during World War II. And he describes at one point where there was, they had a whole lineup of all the prisoners and the, the German guards were executing Jewish people. And he talks about them taking like an 11, I, can't, I don't remember exactly, like an 11-year-old boy. And they took him up to the gallows to kill him. A little boy. And, and Weissel says he heard one of the prisoners in line next to him speaking under his breath. And, and he goes like this. He goes, well, where is God now? And Eli Weissel would realize later, he's on the gallows with that little boy. We are not alone. We are never forgotten. Grieve, lament, and hope. Because hope wins. Amen? I think Brian's going to come out and sing for us, but let me pray. Lord, unto you now we commit uh, these moments that you would help us to receive, think and feel what you have for us in this great song. And may it point us to Jesus who himself lamented but who rose victorious. Thank you for being our hero. Amen.